Welcome to Stick Together, Australia's only national radio show all about workers' rights and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast to you around the country on the Community Radio Network. I'm Dennis Rogacik. These past few weeks have been filled to the brink with exciting and inspiring events for the left across Australia. The magnificent Invasion Day march and demonstration that took place last Monday at one point intervened into the Australia Day march and ground it to a halt. Furthermore, the workers at the International Flavour and Fragrances Factory and Warehouse in South Dandenong courageously occupied a part of the complex. They demanded that the management scrap its plans to take away the workers' right to paid breaks, as well as the annual sick leave compensation and entitlements. After a four-day occupation, led by the delegates from the National Union of Workers and continuing support from the community and other union members, the management agreed to meet with the workers and just this past Sunday gave in to their demands and decided to leave their hard-won rights intact, as well as securing a 2% wage rise per annum. No less significant was last week's victory of Alexis Tsipras and Tsaritsa in the Greek legislative elections and the lightning speed at which it has set out to completely eradicate the years of austerity policies previously implemented by the pro-Troika right-wing government. But it was the recently concluded Queensland state election that snatched all the political headlines in Australia. The catastrophic defeat of the Liberal National Party was exacerbated by the unsitting of Campbell Newman and his own electorate of Ashgrove by the opposition Labour candidate Kate Jones. Although the final result is still unclear, Labour has emerged as the effective winner of the election. According to the ABC, the Liberal National Party's share of seats will drop to 42, while Labour is predicted to gain 44 seats, only one shy away of a governing majority. A ruling coalition with either the Independent Members or Cadiz Australia Party has not been ruled out. Let us go behind the scenes of the trade union campaign that sought to bring an end to an austerity-crazed right-wing government and build a political alternative. We have with us now Ted Sussex, the target seat organizer with the Victorian Trades Hall Council. Ted, thanks a lot for being with us on 3CR. No worries. Thanks very much for having me, Dennis. Uh, Ted, first question is, were you expecting this kind of a result uh, in Queensland? Well, uh, we certainly expected um, a big swing uh, away from the ONP, um, but I don't think anyone expected really, honestly, deep down in their hearts that they uh, would be in a position where a couple of days after the election it looks like they'll be forming government. Mm-hmm. The, um, there was certainly a lot of anger on the, on the ground in Queensland towards the Newman government, and there's no doubt that big swings were to be expected back, but you know, this result sort of unprecedented really isn't it it was a shock um basically yeah an absolute shock and and i think it just goes to show the uh the extent of the campaign that the the alp ran and that the the queensland council of unions ran as as well as um, a couple of the other unions um out on the ground that really pressed on the message about how bad the Cameron government has been and i think it it showed on uh, on election day 
Mm-hmm, absolutely. And uh, there has previously been a number of trade union campaigns in the state as well, like uh, particularly the anti-privatization campaigns run by the ETU and uh, other trade unions, the not-for-sale campaign and uh, so on. Do you think that uh, the campaigns like that led by led mainly by the rank and file of the union also had an impact on bringing down the LNP? Uh, no doubt, no doubt. Um, it, it was a huge, huge campaign that, that the ETU ran um, with the Not For Sale campaign. It was certainly very highly visible. Um, by the end of the campaign, that was sort of the message that the ALP were running. And that's how you know when a campaign has been successful, when when the ALP sort of adopted as their message as well. Um, you know, the, the ETU ran, ran a very high visible campaign. Queensland Council Unions also ran it around ran a campaign on the ground um, under the banner of Stand for Queensland with their volunteers phone calling, door knocking, doing some great stunts, you know, with the I'm with stupid T-shirts. Um, oh, yes, yes. you would have seen. <laughs> of course. Um, so, so there's no doubt on, on the ground that, um, that, that the union movement ran a great campaign and had a huge impact, absolutely. Mm. And not, al- not only that, but on election day, um, there was a big, big union movement presence on booths uh, urging people to put the LNP last and number every square, and that's what people did. Yeah, so and basically it was a an anti-austerity vote that really pushed um, the government out. Yeah, absolutely. Anti-privatisation um, was was the huge factor up there, and yeah. and anti-austerity. I mean, the, the Newman government, um, you know, cut twenty four thousand jobs in the public service, four hundred health staff in a small town like Townsville alone. They contracted out a number of key services, and and basically the asset sales were just was just to pay down the debt, um, you know, rather than investing in infrastructure for the future. So um, there's no doubt that people sent a pretty strong message that governments have to be about fairness, and uh, and the austerity measures that the Queensland government implemented were not fair. Hmm. And but that, what kind of estimate can you make of the future Labour government in a state? And is it actually likely to reverse, you know, this, uh, the asset privatizations and public sector cuts of the LNP? Uh, certainly, uh, I have no doubt that they, they'll um, put away the asset sales. You know, that won't be on the table at all. I think Queenslanders have sent a very clear message two elections in a row, once to the ALP and once to the LNP, that they don't want their assets sold at all. Um, Certainly, uh, it, we had a, a really positive acknowledgement from uh, Anastasia Palaszczuk on election night um, of the union movement and, and the role that they play. Uh, so I think this is going to be a government that will be worker-friendly and will be about fairness. And certainly, I can tell you that the Queensland Council of Unions will be holding them to that, absolutely. That's great, that's great to hear. And um, New South Wales is uh, next on your list of blue states to take down. Uh, do you feel like the unions um, over there have a fighting uh, chance, like they did with the campaigns in Victoria with their union and with the recent Queensland elections? Yes, yeah, certainly. I think Queensland has shown that anything's possible, right? And and um, and so, so way down here in Victoria. Um, I know New South Wales unions uh, sent a couple of their people down during the Victorian campaign to sort of have a look at what we were doing. And, and take any lessons that they can learn from us up back, back up to New South Wales. They're already running huge door knocks, you know, getting 50 people out, I think, just last weekend to go door knocking in the marginal seats. So the union movement up there is certainly active. Um, they're out and about and they're putting big pressure on the, on the new New South Wales Premier. Um, so I think there's no doubt that, you know, the New South Wales government 
should be worried absolutely by by what the union movement can do when it runs a ground campaign. We've seen that in Victoria, we've seen it in Queensland, uh, and hopefully we'll see it again in New South Wales. And I think even on a bigger scale in terms of how big the union campaign is in New South Wales, because they're certainly getting some pretty impressive sort of numbers to their grassroots actions at the moment. Yes, and hopefully in the end, this uh, I say this series of uh, trade union-led uh, election campaigns, hopefully they can also this domino that this domino effect that they created will eventually bring down uh, the Abbott government on federal level as well. Well, absolutely, and I think you know Tony Abbott seems to be gearing up to give us a election about industrial relations with the Product Productivity Commission. Um, so you know if they're going to do that, absolutely. It will be about unions and the Australian people in Victoria and Queensland have already shown that people trust unions and we'll continue to that and we'll see that in New South Wales and we'll see it federally when uh, when the time comes and we'll get rid of Abida as well. Excellent, excellent. Well, uh, thank, you, thank you very much for joining us uh, on 3CR uh, today, Ted. No worries. Thanks very much for having me, Dennis. You're listening to Stick Together on 3CR Community Radio. For our next topic, we will be moving our discussion to Ireland and the rapidly manifesting campaign against the imposition of a regressive tax on the use of domestic water services. Dubbed the Right to Water campaign in Ireland and elsewhere in the world, it has brought additional outrage against the sitting neoliberal government and became a defining symbol of the people's opposition to neoliberal policies of austerity. Joining us now from Dublin is Dave Gibney, the Communications and Campaigns Officer with Mandate Trade Union and a former presenter of The Connolly Show here at 3CR. Dave, thanks a lot for joining us today. No problem. Now, Dave, could you tell us, you know, what is the main reason why the water charges have stirred up so much outrage among the Irish public? Well, there's a, a whole range of different reasons as to why it's um, caused so much um, outrage. Um, we've seen in the past three months, four months, we've seen three of the biggest demonstrations in the history of the state. Um, in On October 11th, we had more than 100,000 people came out on the streets of Dublin. November the 1st, there were 200,000 people. And then on December 10th, on International Human Rights Day, um, which was a midweek day, a Wednesday afternoon, we managed to get another 100,000 people out on the streets to object to the imposition of these unfair and regressive water charges. And I think um, the reason that it's become such a, a thorn in the side for the government um, is is partly because we've we've opened up a debate about public ownership, about um, who should uh, be in charge of our water supply. The government is intent on turning it into a, a, a commodity, um, something um, that the vast majority of the people in Ireland do not want. Um, uh, at the moment, we pay for our water through uh, our general taxation system, uh, which is progressive and fair. It means that those at the highest income um, pay a, a, a little bit more than those at the bottom who can't afford to pay. So when you sort of think about what we've gone through in this country over the last six years in particular of austerity, um, we've got now you know, one of the highest poverty rates across um, the developed world. And um, 28% of our children are living in poverty. Um, we've got 1.7 million people in the country with less than 100 euros to spend at the end of the month. Mm -hmm. um, that's out of a population of four, just over four million. So nearly a quarter of our population of less than 100 euros at the end of the month. 500,000 people have nothing left at the end of the month. And for many families around the country, it's just the fact that they cannot afford to pay another um, regressive charge. 
Um, now, the government's plan is to make everybody pay 160 euros or 260 euros for the year in a flat charge. That's a result of concessions that we won. The original plan was that some families would pay up to 700 euros, which was just um, impossible for very many people, particularly unemployed people and those who are vulnerable um, with disabilities at home because they, they are the people who use more water. So as soon as you um, bring in these charges, will be compounding and making poverty in Ireland a lot worse. It's actually um, the statistics before they brought in water charges were very stark um, we obviously had no such thing as water poverty before the charges um, were to be implemented but immediately overnight our government introduced a whole new form of poverty which is water poverty and it was estimated that 6% of the population would automatically drop into that water poverty. Our campaign has been saying that water is a human right and if you believe that water is a human right we need to abolish the water charges and go back to paying for water to our general progressive taxation system. And this has actually not been the first time that uh, the government tried to introduce uh, water charges, is that right? That's right, yeah. They've tried it uh, twice before, and um, both times being defeated. Um, you see, I think you, you asked in the last question about why, why was there so much outrage. Anybody who's visited Ireland will see how much water we actually have here. Um, it's raining almost on a daily basis. So to, oh, to yeah. charge Irish people for water is a bit of a slap in the face to to um, to many people. Um, and I think that, you know, just to finish up on that that last question you know why is this um uh, such a last straw um we have educated ourselves in this country uh, enormously during the period of austerity Um, and it was the case about seven or eight years ago where nobody understood what GDP meant, nobody understood what inflation meant and certainly nobody really paid much attention to debt and how, how that impacts upon us. Um, overnight our government um, foisted 64 billion of debt onto the shoulders of the Irish people and um, it was not our debt it was banking, gambling um, and speculation that, that was actually um, saved by the Irish people and um, now we recognise that 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 debt is being used as a as a means by the EU and by our own government to bring in unfair policies, um, and yet bringing in a charge for water just seems to have been the last straw. And people have had enough. And I can't see this going anywhere except um, escalating during 2015. Absolutely. And uh, just take a, a bit of a step back. Um, how has how have you and the the comrades in the mandate trade union been involved in this uh, campaign? Right. Um, our membership is um, retail workers mostly. 90% of our members will work in the retail sector, um, mostly lower paid, mostly vulnerable workers. Um, and what happened last year was in January, one of our members in a, a Tesco store, so a supermarket in um, in Dublin, um, drafted a motion and put it to our biennial delegate conference, um, which which is our conference, which you know dictates where the union goes um, and what campaigns we, we launch. So the motion was to oppose these water charges. So um, from that then in June, um, we met up with an, a number of other unions and a couple of other political groups and came up with the plan for a right to water campaign. Historically, campaigning has worked very successfully um, when, you, when, when you're campaigning for something that is a human right. So we thought we'd set up this very simple campaign. All you need to do to join the campaign was to believe that water is a human right and you only had to believe one had one objective, which was to remove water charges legislation. So to get water back into the public ownership um, as opposed to going down this very slippery road of... Um, charging for it and in the future privatizing 
um, water because we see that as one of the big threats. Mm-hmm. And um, at the December 10th rally here, we we flew over five people or four people from um, Detroit, Michigan in the United States um, who are part of the Detroit Water Brigade. And they are now at the moment fighting water shutoffs. There's 50,000 people in Detroit who've had their water shut off because they can't pay their bills. Now, that wasn't the private company that shut it off. That was the public owned system. But what they did in Detroit was they brought in an, a water bond um whereby um, the private sector got to invest in it. And because the private sector had just invested, um, it, it meant they had a disproportionate amount of power over water policy within the state um, and within the city. We see that as the future for Ireland if we go down this road of financializing our water supply system. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, do you feel like uh, this movement, the right, the right to Water campaign, will will also help to forge a political alternative on the left. Perhaps perhaps a coalition of Sinn Féin, militant trade unions, um, like Mandate and other left-wing parties and uh, figures? Yeah, we're discussing um, with some of the political parties and with some of the other trade unions um, what can be um, done uh, as a result of this water campaign and the success that we've had to date. It's, it's probably important that your your um, listeners hear that um, and understand that in Ireland we don't have um, most of our unions. We forty eight unions in Ireland, and um, only one of them is affiliated to the Irish Labour Party. Um, the rest uh, don't have any political uh, affiliations whatsoever. Um, so what we're trying to develop now is a political platform. Um, it may mean some sort of loose affiliation, or um, it may mean. Um, we draft our political agenda, which which would have, um, you know, eight to ten points that we believe um, the government, the next government, should put in place. Part of the thinking is that we could have maybe number one item would be the abolition of water charges, but also we could have um, policies in, in terms of the debt restructure, maybe something similar to what Saritza has planned in, in Greece, mm-hmm. um, invest pro- proper investment in our education system, um, mm-hmm. our transport system and our health system. And also, um, importantly, collective bargaining. Um, in Ireland, we don't have any um, right to collective bargaining. Um, so that's something that obviously the trade unions are trying to um, bring in. Um, we've four years into a, a Labour Party government and they haven't brought in collective bargaining despite several promises. So um, we will have an agenda which we will ask all political parties to sign up for. And it really will throw the ball into the court of the left wing parties in Ireland, including Sinn Féin, People Before Profit Alliance and the Anti-Austerity Alliance, mm-hmm. who all proclaim to, you know, um, believe in the same things that we're all believing in here and the things that I've just mentioned. And hopefully they can work together in a future government if this government refuses to reverse its policies. Excellent. To that. And uh, just to finish off, uh, Dave, um, you yourself used to live in Melbourne, you used to produce the Connolly Show, you used to work for the Australian Manufacturing Workers Union. Any chance you could come back to Australia and help us organise our own anti-austerity <laughs> marches? Who knows, who knows, maybe. Um, hopefully um, I'll, I'll be back there this year for a holiday anyway. But I think you guys are fighting exactly the same battle over there. Um, I, I, I don't know where I'll be living in a couple of years, but wherever it is, I'll hopefully be fighting against these type of policies, whether it's in Australia or in Ireland. Uh, thanks a lot for joining us uh, on the show today, comrade, and uh, best of luck uh, to you and uh, to the Mandate Trade Union. And Thanks very much. On my previous show, I extensively covered the developments of the Basque independence struggle and the issue of the political prisoners. 
Since then, a mass demonstration took place in the bus capital of Bilbao on January the 10th, drawing in tens of thousands of supporters of the Basque political prisoners and in opposition to the current tactic of dispersion used extensively by the Spanish state. One of the most well-known supporters of the campaign is the Milton Trade Union Lab, which is deeply entrenched within the Basque country's manufacturing industry. On January the 12th, the trade union's offices in Bilbao were raided by the Spanish Civil Guard, seeking to extract the donations that the trade union gathered to support the friends and families of the political prisoners. We are now joined by Gaiske Zuriarain, the international coordinator of LAB, the trade union in the Basque country. Gaiske, thank you very much for joining us here in Australia at the 3CR. Thank you to you, Denise. It's a good chance for us to explain what happened in the last continent of Asia. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, uh, guys, could you give us uh, a brief introduction about uh, about your trade union and the kind of industrial work uh, that you do? Yeah. Okay. We are a trade union called LAB, L-I-B. It's a vast trade union with more than 45,000 members and more than 4,800 representatives in different industries and economic sectors. The importance of this kind of trade union is uh, is high. Uh, LAP is uh, an uncommon trade union in European scenario because uh, in Europe, big trade unions are facing the aging of their members and executive boards. They are becoming older. I mean, uh, usually men have high levels role in these unions, but in our case, LAB is young trade union. The average age of our members in the executive board is 35, and our national secretary is a woman. So you mm-hmm. can see the difference between our trade union model and the other ones. Mm-hmm. And additionally, we are the only trade union that is growing in the vast country in this crisis time. Mm-hmm. So we are really, uh, we think that we are doing well. Uh, additionally, uh, yeah, you can ask. But for us, like a, bueno, as a trade union, our strategic goals are the achievement of independence for the last country and socialism. Socialism, sorry. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, guys, yeah. could, could you tell us a bit more about the events that, that, that took place on January the 12th when the Spanish civil guards um, raided the offices of a lab in Bilbao? Yeah. yeah, initially I would like to say that, uh, bueno, like a trade union, uh, we have uh, like a uh, active role in mass political scenario. Yeah, I said before that we are a socio-political trade union, so we are in each area that we understood we have two. So we are wo- working together with other like collectives, like young people, migrant works, uh, with the victims of uh, comp- uh, sorry military conflict victims. Uh, we are defending mass political prisoners, human rights, struggling for vast independence, pushing the vast peace process, denouncing repression, etc. And, of course, as a class of the trade union, we confront every day with employees in the factories or political institutions. And we want to develop vast framework for labor relations between France, Spain and France. So that's the point that I would like to explain because mm-hmm. it's not the first time in consequence of this activity that we have, it's not the first time that the Spanish military corps, like Guardia Civil, assault one of our offices. Mm-hmm. 
I remember in October of uh, 2009, our headquarters in Donosti, in San Sebastian, was assaulted by Guardia Civil as well, and our former General Secretary, Rafa Diez, and Arnaldo Tegui, like he's uh, a really well-known political leader here, were arrested amongst other three when they were working to push the peace process that nobody is working or is going on. We have so far different attempts to be banned as well. Uh, due to the activity we have, mm -hmm. uh, but related there with the, this uh, police operation, we need to talk about the day before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the police operation was in Monday, uh, January 12th. Yeah, and but of course, and on January the 10th, there was this uh, massive demonstration yeah. in Bilbao in support of the political prisoners and against the strategy of uh, dispersion. That's the point, that's the point. I want to talk about that. Yeah, uh, we took part in a big uh, demonstration on this Saturday, 10th of January. Yeah. In this uh, demonstration, gathered more than 80,000 people and asking for respect of human rights and vast political prisoner rights, answering a calmate a, a new organization that is called SARE. SARE means uh, NET in Basque language. And in this demonstration, people, it's, 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 it's usual here, uh, you can donate some money. Yeah. There is a people, in, or there are people in the demonstration with bags and asking for support and mainly to pay the expenses that demonstration creates. So they were asking for money and usually people give the pocket money, so mainly coins. So. The point is that demonstration was uh, Saturday evening, and the bank office were closed at the mm -hmm. time. And so, but our office is closed to the, the path that the demonstration had. So we offer our office to keep saving the, the, the money until Monday morning mm -hmm. to, uh, to be able to put uh, in a bank. But on Monday morning, I remember at say, uh, 7 a.m., the responsible of the office, uh, Marijo, uh, a call from the Guardia Civil uh, ordering her to open the office. So the Spanish civil yeah, guard basically yeah. uh, forced its way into the office in order to take the money that was gathered for the political prisoners. Yeah, initially we didn't know what happened. We didn't know because the order that they have was like something really, really strange. Uh, they, uh, they have the order to to, uh, to research about uh, or investigate about tax evasion, uh, money laundering, and so it was really, really strange, even uh, offense against right, uh, workers' rights, and uh, coming to a trade union office to, to this kind of charges is really, really strange. But, uh, bueno, in this uh, in this operation, 16 people were arrested, and was a really, really special thing that 12 of them were lawyers. Mm -hmm. But uh, after two hours in the, the trade union, the, the workers were inside the office. Yeah, we realized that their only goal was the money. And uh, what, what kind of solidarity has uh, Lab received uh, so far? And what is the best way that uh, we can provide it uh, from uh, from Australia? We are, I told you before that we are an internationalist uh, trade union and we have uh, good contacts uh, all around the world. 
and we recite the solidarity from everywhere. Yeah, even from Pakistan, from India, because we are affiliated to the WFPU, mm -hmm. and we make contact there, and we have been really solidarity with uh, another struggles in the war, and it's the same. We are trying to develop, uh, especially with you and other people in Australia, like uh, to uh, study contacts, to share information, to know how are your situation there, and explain how is uh, our situation here. Okay, uh, I believe that will be all. Um, guys, okay, thank you very much for joining us on the show today. And we wish you, uh, wish you best of luck. We stand in solidarity with you and comrades uh, in the lab. Thank you to you, Dennis, and to the listeners. That was Gaiska Zuria Rain from the Basque Country wrapping up our show. We'd like to inform our listeners that the Victorian Trades Hall Council has called a statewide rally for March the 4th to oppose the ongoing policies of the Abbott government. Go to www.weareunion.org.au for more information. Well, that will be all for Stick Together this week. I'm Dennis Rogatyuk, and I'd like to thank all of our local and international guests for appearing on the show today. Thank you to 3CR Community Radio for helping to host the program, and the Community Broadcasting Federation for their financial support. I wish you all the best, and tune in the same time next week. 